0: Hey, 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 Mark here and welcome to Talking Joe. You join us for the second part of our discussion with G.I. Joe original comic art collector Chuck Costas. In part one, we just finished talking about Russ Heath's page from G.I. Joe 24. And as we open part two, we begin by talking about Frank Springer's page from G.I. Joe 27, page 13, the origin of Snake Eyes issue. Mm. So. As before, you can find the original art that we're discussing over on YouTube or you can also find a PDF of all of this art on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Talking Let's head on back into the conversation with Chuck. So we were just talking about him. Here's the man, Frank Sp- Springer, on uh, again a classic issue, twenty-seven.
1: Yeah. So as, as we, uh, on the eve of, of the release of the new Snake Eyes movie that will be coming out in the next few weeks, uh, I thought I couldn't have, I had to have an example from the origin of Snake Eyes issues, uh, which was 27 and I, you know, a little bit of more of a backstory on this. So, I'll, you know, we'll talk about the art. So Frank Springer obviously took over. Um, this was his first issue because 26 was done by Hama and, or sorry, 25 is his first issue, which was the first Volzartan. Then they took a break, went to Hama and, uh, and um, Steve Laeloha inking that, and then came back, and then it's sort of the beginning of his more regular part run on this. But uh, okay. I guess twenty eight though was or twenty nine was Marie Severin, so still some some fill ins. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it. Um, but uh, yeah, this was just a great sequence of you know obviously the origin story goes without saying. It's it's going to last. It's probably the most memorable storyline, 21, 26, 27 of, of Snake Eyes' origins. And it'll probably be told many different times and look forward to the way that they're going to tell it in the new Snake Eyes movie. Uh, but just a great battle sequence between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow erupting here as part of this. And so I was lucky enough. I guess the story behind this is, uh, you know, there was a collector, and you may have talked about him many times, Howie Welsh. And this was a page that I actually uh, was my first sort of trade with Howie. Howie was trying to assemble pages from each of the different G.I. Joe's issues. And uh, he also lived in Virginia, which wasn't too far away from us. So we actually got, to, got together for a day, looked through uh, original art, showed him a lot of the pages that I had and looked through his collection. And he was, you know, he was next to myself. I think he was one of the other people that was very adamant about finding the original G.I. Joe pages and, and and trying to trying to build a collection of that. And so, you know, mm-hmm. how I, I really respected what he was trying to do as far as also sort of continuing on and, and telling the legacy of those G.I. Joe comics. Um, but he had – he had uh, Frank Springer had sold a number of his pages. Uh, I was lucky enough to run into Frank at, frankly, the only convention I think I've ever seen him at. And he had – I bought some G.I. Joe pages from him, but I, I believe these went to oh, wow. either Europe or I had missed out on some of these pages from 27. And Howie had ended up with a number of pages from issue 27 – Including this whole fight sequence between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, and so as part of the trade, I ended up getting you know the 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 pages that all sort of went to this <clears throat> fight sequence, and uh, I forget what I had traded. Howie maybe a, a page from issue three and some other early pages, uh, so that he could sort of fill out his collection. Uh, but really appreciate you know Howie working with that it was a great day, um, and you know and I just want to rec- you know remember him as a, as a great collector who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. Uh, but this is this is a great page that he was you know helped me t- to add to my collection, and uh, I really appreciate it.
2: It has taken me a long time to realize how much I like Frank Springer's art uh, compared to all of the other artists who contributed to the first fifty one hundred issues of G i Joe. His was the stuff that his issues were the ones that i I connected to the least when I was initially like building my complete collection of issues before they were, you know, they were all available in paperback. Um, and his cover, uh, with the dreadnoughts, uh, when I first saw it and I got it, I I just thought it was just really unappealing. Um, but, uh, as I've gotten older, um, and one, I, I sort of understand just how hard it is to draw comics and how hard it is for editorial, to put together a monthly book and not miss too many deadlines, right? Particularly when it's tied in with a toy line. Um, I just sort of appreciate any of the work, even the the issues that I, that I don't like. Um, but um, part of what made me, uh, part of what turned for me with Springer's work is um, to not compare it to issue 26. Um, you know, being, chapter two of a two-part story where everyone really likes chapter one, Just, you know, like, you can't win. And um, this this art on this page so much more agrees with Trimpy and Vosberg and uh, even, you know, Marie Seven, Severin, uh, uh, an issue or two later. And, um, you know, like, Hama is coming from a different place. Um, and that that connection with uh, Le Aloha is, is so particular, right? And like only those two issues look like those two issues. Um, so um, there's also a looseness to Springer's work. Um, and what also helped me sort of connect more with it was uh, after he died, I was Googling him. And to see work that he had done for other publishers and for other publications separate from G.I. Joe, I could see his comics work in this continuum of his career. And it made me appreciate his skills much more, which I I wasn't seeing when I was just comparing 27 to
1: 26. Tim, I feel the same way as you. I think I had that same sort of same reaction, which was 27 just didn't seem as good as 26. But in the scheme of things, it was also classic GI Joe artwork. And and, and in the vein of what, say, Vosberg was doing with a slightly different style to it as well. So. Uh, agree with that. And I think, you know, Trimpy, Vosberg, others, they did, you know, they've done some great work outside of G.I. Joe. And you really, when you see that work, you do appreciate them as artists. I mean, I think Springer's work on Nick Fury after he took over for Starenko. I mean, how hard is that to follow Jim Storenko <laughs> as an artist drawing, you know, a, a, a character that Jim Storenko made popular, very tough. Um, but he did, you know, he did a fine job doing that. And I think here he had to step into some shoes and follow some other great artists that had done stuff and, you know the the action sequence is really really great here, uh, and you know the the renditions of especially uh, Storm Shadow there and and Snake Eyes just you know um, you know what we would think of as classic Joe of the time period. And yeah, Snake Eyes
0: I... being being he's left really open in terms of the colors. He is in in the black yeah. and white inks. He is whites um, apart from a, a few spotted black blacks here and there. It's uh, it's being left for the the colorists to. To fill that in I think Tim you were straining to, to look over here that there is some white out on the um, softmasters eyes where they've obviously had to you know gone back and fine-tune it to, to try and I guess try and make sure that that the characteristic of, of the uh, you know the eyes is is caught
2: correctly I was also noticing uh, the uh, guide ovals for where to place the word balloons. There's a blue uh-huh. oval. Yeah. Yeah, a yeah, blue yeah, yeah. oval on every panel. Where uh, I don't know if it's the letterer on a first pass or Springer himself showing visually the letterer. Like this mm. is where I want you to put the word balloon because I haven't put anything important here. Um, and then I think they're numbered. And then and again, there's this there's this non-photo blue. And if the non-photo blue seems crazy to you, like just look above the top panel, right? Book, issue number, page number. Uh, that those pre-printed lines on this Marvel Bristol board uh, is in non are in non-photo blue.
0: Excellent. Um, are we ready to move on to to, to the next thing? Yeah. OK, I think uh, this section we can call, we can, we, we can repurpose a, galler, uh, a <laughs> our gallery jingle. So I'll do just that. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. That came through. It said, let's take a look at the covers in the gallery. And here's definitely a cover.
1: <laughs> uh, that is a cover um, and I think it's interesting to note I, we didn't note that you know Michael golden had done the cover to issue 27 uh, which you know, knowing how I've picked covers most likely that was also a commercial that was going on at the time Um and I think this was actually a commercial, if I remember correctly, as well. So I keep picking picking ones that turn into TV commercials. Um, this is a Michael Golden cover as well. So where on 27, Golden was working out of black and white or in black and white artwork similar to the interior artist. Here he took a different approach. So Golden did the covers to uh, similar to this in, in for issues 23, 29, 36, and then yearbook one. Um, but he took more of an animation style, which was a uh, golden did this for a little bit. He did it on other books like Chris star and, and call, but this is a very large and I'll actually, I actually do have it next to me to show you just how large it is compared to. Um, so this is, this is how large the painting is. This is the page to 24. So you can wow. see, wow. You know, much, much bigger, very huge, the largest animation cell that you can imagine. So, Um, but yeah, it goes all the way down there. And so my, my understanding, sorry, go ahead.
2: How many layers is that?
1: I believe I don't, I have it in plastic right now. I believe it's two or three layers. Okay. Um, I think it's three layers if I remember correctly, because I think the blacks are drawn on one layer. Then you got sort of that blue, like where the plane is. And then I think you've got a, a background layer on it. So I think it's a three layer if I remember correctly to this piece. Um, and then they all line up. They've got little uh, guides that will show you uh, where they actually should be placed on top of it because each of them is on acetate, similar to an animation cell. But what's interesting is where a lot of art um, a lot of artists would do the black and white and they would actually do it on a board and then photocopy it onto the acetate itself. Golden, I believe, actually inked these directly onto the acetate. Uh, in the black. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the rest of the stuff was also painted. So there's, you know, all hand-drawn artwork to these paintings, um, which it just makes him pop. I mean, I think he really felt like, you know, this is an animated TV show at this point in time. Let's take the animation and turn it into the comics. And this is Golden's attempt at bringing animation to a comic book cover. Um, and it, these covers were all super memorable. I mean, I think twenty three was, you know, honestly my favorite out of all of them. But all these these covers that were drawn this way are pretty fantastic.
2: So it's worth pointing out with this um, parallel Chuck that you're drawing to animation. When we think of animation cells, right? And just so everyone knows, that's spelled with one L, C E L. It's not spelled with two Ls. Um, animation cells uh until the 70s right animation artworks drawn in pencil on paper and then a second artist redraws it uh in ink onto a clear celluloid and then Actually, that... it,
1: sometimes they'll draw it on paper and then they'll photocopy the the, the black and white artist then translated to the to the acetate it's uh right
2: always... right hand, hand drawn until uh disney started using xerography in the 70s um so um and then the the painted background is paint on top of uh, a board or like a thick piece of paper and then animation paint is painted onto the back side of the animation cell and if you painted it on the on the top uh then you create all these little shadows if you can imagine when you spread peanut butter on bread uh if you put it near a lamp you're going to see all these shadows where the nooks and crannies are but if you put in this analogy peanut butter on a window and then you go outside and you look at the front of the window, you're just going to see the smooth, solid, sort of beige color. Um, Golden had painted covers for Conan and the reproduction was not great. Uh, I mean, painted in a normal way, just paint on board, like a Joe Jusco cover or an Earl Norum cover. And this more animation approach uh, uh, was going to work better. and. What you see in the um, the like weapons fire where you have these soft edges is airbrush. So golden, I mean, publishers pay more for painted covers because they understand that painted covers take longer and maybe it's a prestige project or maybe um, uh, uh, it's gonna sell better because it's sort of a, a, an eye-catching cover um, and, Uh, so this is, this is, uh, (laughs) this is a lot of, in addition to being big and really well drawn, like we all all know this is really well drawn, like you can't say it enough, right? Because like, there are very few artists besides Golden who could take a shape as strange as the Cobra Asp and show it as little of it as you see in this cover and from this angle and yet still make it One, recognizable, and two, like exciting and compelling and dangerous, right? Like, I've tried to draw the Cobra Asp. It's not easy. And you want to draw (laughs) it sort of like where you can see the whole thing. So, well, it's got these two uh, clamps and it's got like a tire and there's a cockpit. It's got these two guns. Um, Something else that Golden is doing here is he's bringing in atmospheric perspective. So, any outlines that would normally be black, those are only for the shapes that are closest to us. And then all the outlines for the whale and the two rattlers in the sky. Those are blue or blue-gray and it knocks them back. So it's very, it's even more clear what is close to us and what is uh, far from us. And then the background, the bottom layer is just this really simple pink maroon with just a little bit of a gradient. It gets a little brighter uh, at the bottom. Um, Chuck, I suspect this might be four layers.
1: It's possible I, I hate to take it out on on uh, on camera right now to try to mess with it but it's possible I, I think it's I think there's like a base like the base drawing is actually on board and then there's multiple layers that have the planes and then the asp in the front so um, but the black yeah the, the, I, I agree with you and I think he used the same approach as far as the you know, sort of defining the depth of each when you look at 29 you I think you've got Destro in the front of that cover, and, and, and in very heavy black, and then sort of fades to sort of a, a lighter shades in the background to sort of give it a more 3D effect, which I think was, you know, is also it's just very innovative. And I think, you know, keeping in mind that, you know, although Zek was known for doing, say, the Punisher covers in, in Airbrush later on in 1986, which they really did in 1985, this actually predates doing those covers. So Golden was a, a bit of a head. I, you know, Sienkiewicz, I guess, was also doing painted covers for Marvel for New Mutants uh, in the early days as well. Um, again, I, I'd heard the story, you know, you get paid more, so why not do a painted cover if you have <laughs> the op- opportunity to, to, to do that? And uh, but and I guess G.I. Joe was selling well enough at the time that that Marvel probably felt it was worthwhile to, to invest in doing some great covers, so.
2: As a kid, mm-hmm. I was always, Sort of confused by the inconsistency of, you know, some issues drawn by the regular artist and then a fill in some covers that are, you know, the guy who's been doing all the covers. And then all of a sudden there'd be a cover like this, which is much fancier. But, you know, this one was an ad, was a TV ad, um, but it didn't always seem to line up with, you know, an anniversary or a, a key story change. Uh, and I think that's the sort of day in, day out of editors lining up artists. It's like, okay, can, can you get me this cover? It's like, well, he's going to take four weeks to do that cover. I got to line up the next cover with someone else.
1: Well, and I think it goes back to the, this again was one that they were going to use on television. So it really mm. needed to pop and they needed to do that. But, you know, back to your comment around Springer, You know, that I think about it, since that was also a Michael Golden cover, it was probably also like, wow, the cover is really fantastic. And then it's like, then you go to the inside. It was kind of like, you know, sort of Vosberg on Punisher number five when he took over for Zach. It was like, wow, what a great Punisher cover on the front. And it's just like, this doesn't match to, to what you're sort of seeing as far as the art style. And I do think those that juxtaposition of two different artists can sort of create that feeling of disappointment, as you were saying, even if the art is pretty strong by itself. So
2: I'm going to guess that Golden requested the colors for the logo uh a yellow an unusual yellow outline with that blue aqua fill for the five letters cuz golden would cov- would color his covers when he drew them and of course he's coloring them when he's painting them um and then later briefly in the 90s he was a cover editor at Marvel briefly um but uh this this is an un- this is an unusual cover for many reasons uh sort of the least of which is the unusual color treatment on the logo.
1: It is. And, and again, I think if you map Golden's covers, most of them were probably used in TV ads. And that's probably the reason that they are sort of sporadic through the run. Is the, And then it also makes sense, too, if they're talking about sort of, and kids have been watching the G.I. Joe animated series, the fact that you have animated covers um, that sort of go along with it is probably more consistent. And, would, and the thought would be, gets them more excited about potentially reading the comics. If if it's, there's more consistency to the TV shows.
0: I, I think it's probably worth pointing out as well. The, the, the cropping of the cover as published, um, take, you know, removes a fair chunk of, of the, of the, of the actual published art. Like, so, so we're missing, I guess a lot, a big chunk of the second rattler. You might not even notice that it's, it's there. We're missing uh, most of the oops, most of the detail down there of that that right hand cannon on on the whale. Uh, some some of the left, although there's left lost, less going on, and some of the the bottom of, of the image. So we not, don't actually see his signature on the on the published cover uh, as well. So it's yeah, lovely to see all of that extra detail that that get lost, and and even the, this um uh this lettering from the from the toy on the on the whale that that he's painstakingly added added in um as well as just recreating the gi joe logo and that whale there as well that's um it's it's incredible detail and i bet if you stick your face right up against it and squint at the detail on those individual characters of snow job and and torpedo there it looks like there's just so much detail um yeah Incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, all classic. uh, You know, Golden was already known as sort of one of the artists. He was an artist artist that everybody else emulated at the time, and and was really pushing what what could be done here. And when you see all four, I I haven't seen the twenty three in person. I I did get a chance to see the twenty nine years ago, Um, and I saw. I think Howie actually used to own the back cover to GI Joe Yearbook One, which was also painted by Golden's as well as the front cover, but. yeah, they're just they're very impressive, but they're obviously very hard to find any of these covers out there and still in the wild. And yeah, I can't even remember when I picked this up at least 10 years ago at this point in time. Um,
0: and is, is there a story about how you found this one?
1: Uh, you know, I can't even remember. It, it may have even been an eBay purchase or an auction purchase. Um, I, I almost feel like I this was I bought it the second time around. I almost feel like it had traded hands once and then I saw it come up again and I, I felt like the second time around I couldn't pass it up. Um, I, I I now I think about it. I think there was a, an art dealer named Albert Moy who was working with Golden and selling some of these. So I think the twenty nine, I had looked at it and looked at it, and I think it's just you know these these covers weren't that cheap compared to other things. Um, so they they were they were an investment to get one, and and I always hoped for the twenty three, and I think the twenty nine was around, and and I liked the twenty nine as well, and and I I think it sold, and I re- I regretted the fact that I never made a move to buy it. And so I think when the 36 came up, I was just like, I, I've got to own one of these animated covers. And I'm just not sure when I'm going to get a chance to, to buy another one. So I think I jumped at the chance when, when this came up. So sure. sure,
2: I just want to say one last thing about the composition. Um, we see just enough of the rocks and the ocean to sell the idea that this is, uh, this is a, a sea vehicle that's on the water coming at us aiming at a land vehicle um, this is one of those <laughs> um, this is one of those things where um, I think because golden is so good at composition it's I don't know I don't I wouldn't quite say he makes it look easy but there's so much negative space in the sky because he's gonna have a logo in a corner box right but um, uh, he is so deftly placing things. Right, we see just enough of the whale to really know that it's the whale. We, we see just enough of the asp to really know that it's the asp. But we get this sort of, uh, you know, it's got to be really small, but we get all of that lower rattler. Um, and in terms of camera placement, to use a movie term, um, and you know, you don't want the whale to be smaller because then it's not going to have any impact. Um, but if you were to, if you were drawing comics and someone gave you this sentence, right, like whale with snow job and torpedo in the water coming up on the rocky beach where an asp with a Cobra officer in the cockpit is firing on them while two Rattlers swoop down from the sky, right? Like you would have to do several sketches before you even came close to like getting it all in and also making it work.
0: Yeah, and then (laughs) 99 out of 100 people would never get it as close close to being as good as this. Okay. Are we ready to move on? And, and Chuck, are yep. you, are you okay to keep on plowing on as, as well? Like I
1: said, I'm, I'm, I'm all by myself the tonight or today. So <laughs> okay. we're, we're good. And we're always
0: happy to keep on talking Joe, particularly when so so looking I, at material is I have to, amazing I have to, as amazing.
2: I have to ask one more question, Chuck, have you held the cover next to the painting and just gone back and forth to see how the color reproduced or how, how it, how it's different in the original?
1: I don't think I've done a detailed color analysis on that. I, you know, I guess when I see the original, it's the, like the the blacks really pop just because they're 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 hand drawn inks on the acetate and they're on a, on the, the layer to the top. Um, I mean, you can see right there that it's a little bit more. It's got more gradations of pink, you know, on the final printed cover. It it couldn't read the probably the you know that was the problem even at the time is that they couldn't necessarily read as well even on some of these painted covers. So I always feel like as much, you know, the printing had improved to some degree, but it still wasn't good enough to really, truly reproduce these covers, these painted covers, whether it's this one or the Punisher one cover uh, really well. And so I, I think you you lose some of the detail. So I, I think I always remembered, frankly, that the printed one was a little bit more disappointing than the when I saw the actual original itself. So that was part of the reason I was like, I, I got to own the original. <laughs> uh, i've
0: got i've got mine here just uh oh, there you go having having a sticking my face up against it and seeing seeing what's there what's what's not
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's the problem sometimes you actually get disappointed in the final printed uh covers when you see them and we'll see that with like 47 later on but it's I, like some of the some of the things they change is like ah oh, you made it worse
2: <laughs> I, I think for me it goes the opposite way where a cover i don't like I will like after I see the original art because I'll, I'll sort of understand better what the artist was doing. Like Mike Zex cover to 44. Like it's a good drawing. The cover really never did it for me. And then I, hel- I held the original and I thought, oh, there's so much artistry here. And without the color, which was totally fine, you know, sort of distract, it just sort of the original pulses, it breathes in front of me.
1: It's true. Sometimes the coloring can actually n- not not do a service to the actual black and white art as well. But, but Mark, okay. maybe we should move on to the next?
0: Next up, yeah.
1: I even forget. Oh, speaking of 47. Jeez, <laughs> I I always forget what order we're going in here and what we're talking about. So, 47. So, this one's this is I guess the story that uh, sort of continuing the early part of this conversation which seems a long time ago. Um As far as when I met Mike Mike Zach in 1986 um, in January, right when the Punisher miniseries was coming out, and I had heard he was going to be at the show, I was set up with a deal. I was set up um, actually helping a dealer, a friend of mine, um, as a helper at this three-day creation comic convention, and next to us was Mike Zach and John Beatty. So I heard they were going to be at the show. GI Joe at that point, I was all in. I was my favorite comic, Uh, and I think GI Joe 44, was just on the stands so when mike showed up i was like i hope he's got a gi joe cover i hope i can buy a gi joe cover i really hope he's got something he showed up with the covers to 45 46 and and 47 Mm. and so i hadn't seen any of these covers these had not hit the stands yet um and so he, he i was like you know, he's like, can I buy one? And he's like, yep, you got first crack at which one do you want between 45, 46 and 47. And and again, I was a teenager and didn't have any money. The, uh, the price on all of them, I think, was $45 for each of them. So but, you know, I looked at how much money I had in my pocket and I was like, oh, I could probably just get one of them. Um, and so I had my choice. And, you know, I wouldn't say stupidly. But in retrospect, I think most people probably would have chosen the 46 with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. Um, And and as soon as I sort of landed on choosing this one, somebody else jumped in and and bought that immediately. And I've never seen it since. Um, But I just, for this, for me, it was the detail on the cover. uh, And this is actually all Mike. Mike a lot of times worked with John Beatty at the time. But this is all actual Mike Zek pencil and inking on it. Oh, wow. I just thought the detail on this cover was just so fantastic that that was the one I chose. And then the 45 uh, the, the dealer that I was actually set up with who didn't buy original artwork was just you know so over you know so happy with what he saw as well that he had to buy the 45 cover and we sort of always had this deal. I was like, I was like, you know, you bought that today for 45, but I'm gonna buy that back and I might even pay you a hundred dollars for it, you know, in a few <laughs> years. But give me the first chance of buying it back. Unfortunately, that dealer friend of mine passed away many, many, many years ago, and his uh, his widow has no idea what happened to the forty five cover. So it, it's out there, um, but unfortunately, uh, we 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 don't know where it is anymore. So of that day, the only one I, I took home with me was the forty seven, which is a great cover. But what's interesting about it, and I'll show you on the original. And I apologize, you know, it's like I looked at this today, and it's like the this is where uh, seeing the. Uh, what happens with with rubber cement that was on the back of that has bled through on the acetate and left a stain. Mm. I'm gonna have to go get my art restorative to fix that. But you'll see the original artwork that was underneath this. And when you um, and so when you compare it to what was published, because originally they had this logo on it, which is a lot, um, you know, it, it goes down a lot further and they decided, Because of the Marvel 25th anniversary, they were going to cut the G.I. Joe logo and move up the the corner box art. You can see they ended up redrawing the artwork uh, when you see the published cover there. I don't know if you've got the side-by-side view of it anymore, but if you you can Uh, show it against the published cover. The published cover looks worse, you know, because they ended up having to redraw it, and they didn't redraw it the same way Mike would have drawn it. So you lose a lot of the detail that Mike had in that original artwork because of the, you know, post- the edits that were happening after he had turned in the artwork there, but um, you know it was it was kind of the, the discussion I had with Mike after buying this. Um, I guess the, you know, the the longer story was I spent the whole weekend with him. After that night, I went home and, and I, I think I also bought. I also wanted some Punisher artwork, so I ended up buying two pages from issue two of of Punisher. I think it was page one, and then where the guy gets his neck cut off in the uh, in the in the metro. But uh, I went home that night and I was like, "Mom, I, I I met this artist. I I need to borrow some money. I need to borrow. I need to borrow like I was like I need like three hundred dollars or something." And, and and Mike had offered to sell me all of Punisher two for three hundred, you know, for an additional three hundred dollars. Like, Mom, I, I gotta buy this. I, I just I just I just love it, and I, I love his art. I gotta buy it. So I, I borrowed that. I had to pay my mom back all summer for the money I had borrowed uh, by mowing lawns the rest of the summer, but I was able to walk home with this and then all of Punisher two after that convention. But the, the great thing was from a GI Joe perspective, I was like, Mike, you know, does anybody, you know, what do you do with the artwork if you're not going to a comic show? He's like, well, honestly just sort of sits there. Nobody really cares about my GI Joe artwork. So if you want to buy it, just call me up every month and just let me know you want it and I'll put it aside for you and mail it down to you. So that started my relationship with Mike of buying his GI Joe covers as he was doing them. But I uh, didn't get all of them. Unfortunately, uh, Mike got into, I think, the the ones right after this, the 48, the 49, and 50. He ended up going to a poker match in Florida, I heard, and put you know losing the bet. And so he had to pay off his debt with the covers to 47, 48, and 49. And ironically, I worked, and Tim, you may know that. Do you, do you ever go to Another World in Georgetown? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, so I used to work at Another World in Georgetown, and my boss, Steve Milo, had somehow bought the covers from Mike and we ended up giving them away as we did a promotion with I think it was B97 if I remember. We had a radio station there and we had all these artists that was like it was Valiant was really big and and I can't remember why we gave away GI Joe covers but the grand prize we had a raffle that day and we gave away the covers to to all three of those issues of 40, 48, 49 and 50. So I didn't get those issues um, you know right away and then it wasn't until uh, later that I got issue 52. Because uh, Burn did fifty one, if you remember that, correct. So, but this was it. This was great, and uh, you know, like I said, it, it it was my starting to really collect the GI Joe covers as much as I could. And, and
0: how the... old we? How old would you have been at this point?
1: What what year was this? What what is there a yeah. publication year on this? This is eighty six because uh, it's yeah. I average. guess it would have been January of eighty six. So I would have been uh I would have been fifteen, just turned fifteen at the time.
0: And you know what. You know, hats off to to your parents for loaning you <laughs> the money to to buy these. Because we were just talking just um, off of air before we started that just last week um, there was a brand new record set for a ZEC Interior Punisher page, which, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, was thirty three thousand dollars for for a page. Um, so so I think your mum's you know, return <laughs> on investment is probably not too bad
1: yeah so that that uh, if that's a sign that was a, yeah a page from issue four of the of the limited series sold for for that much which I, I guess I used to own that page at one point had, had had sold that to a collector um as well but yeah I guess Punisher art is uh, that and then there's actually Craven's last hunt art that that sold in a similar range a few weeks before that so uh yeah yeah Zach art seems to be hot these days I guess I bet on one of the hot artists back when I was a, a teenager and but, you know, for me, it's, it's really, you know, it's funny. Years later, Mike was like, uh, I think I, we were talking in the early, maybe 2000s, and Mike was like, do you still have all that G.I. Joe art you bought for me? He's like, by now, you must have sold it because the covers were, I think they had gone up to like $400, $500. He's like, you'd be stupid not to have sold them. I'm like, nope, no, nope, Mike, <laughs> I still have every single cover I ever bought from you. And he's yeah, like, foolishly eh. holding on to those. Yeah. He's like, okay. You know, and now he's just, he's always like, you're a pretty smart guy. I wish I had kept some of my own artwork, you know, but in some ways, but he's, you know, I was always that kid that, uh, you know, again, I never did it out of a place of, I'm going to make a ton of money off of this stuff. I had just bought it because I really liked it and frankly thought it was money that might, you know, might be wasted, so to speak, because there was no price guide for original art. Didn't seem to be anybody else collecting it because you were sort of in your own silo at these conventions when you were buying it from these artists. You're ever wondering because everybody else would look at you, you know, as we talked about earlier, it's like you look at you sideways, like, what is this? Why are you buying it? It's just it was a foreign concept in the eighties to to buy original art from artists and think that it might actually go up in value at some point in time. Well
0: uh, and one more one more question. So you, you were having these conversations with with Mike on on the phone and he was describing upcoming covers and you know whether you'd want to buy them or not. Yes. Were there were there any that he described to you and you thought, you know what, maybe that one's not for me. I'm gonna pass.
1: Um, not of GI Joe covers and I don't think it was usually his description. I remember like I would talk to him when he was just started it on Batman. He was doing the 10 nights of the beast and he was like this Batman 417 cover for folks that, that look at it. And it's a, it's a, cl- now it's a classic cover and he was just lamenting to me. He's like, I think I'm spending too much time drawing the, <laughs> drawing the backgrounds that I'm not getting, <laughs> like I'm not making any money cause I'm spending way too much time on this cover. But you know now it's like an all time classic cover, and you know the original. I don't own the original art to that one. I, I have a different Batman cover, but uh, that would probably at least easily be over hundred thousand dollars for that cover today. Um, but um, no, I don't think I, I don't think there was any GI Joe covers that I passed up because of the description of it. I, I later passed on it because you know again I was paying when I was paying for covers they were forty to fifty dollars depending on how much Mike liked the cover, um, but he. You know, at that same show, he got introduced to I guess, Jim Warden, who was a dealer, a friend of mine as well. You know, he came over and, and met Mike as well, and then ultimately became Mike's agent. And then I think it was around issue 50, it was in the, the later 50s that that he took over as Zach's art agent. And then the prices went up to $75 a cover. And I was like, I'm out. You know, I was like, I'm <laughs> in for paying 40 to $50 a cover. But when I have to pay $75, I can't afford this anymore. So I I really stopped buying Mike's covers sort of towards the end of the run. I I bought a lot of the special missions covers as they were coming out just to sort of keep the run going on that. But uh, like 59, 60, I remember were $75 and I just, I was like, I don't think I can pay that for these. It's just, it's just too much for me.
0: As a a young guy, you know, 15, 16, um, you're not, you're not going to have huge amounts of spare cash sloshing about, you know, mowing lawns only pays so much, I guess.
1: I got I got about ten dollars a lawn, so that was you know, and I do like two two to three five, lawns a month.
0: Five lawns equals one exact yeah. cover. So right.
2: part of part of the comparison here that fifty, forty, or fifty was a lot then to buy a cover, and was a lot for a young person to spend. Um, an artist drawing a cover cover for Marvel in the mid eighties would have been paid. Uh, 200,
1: 300. I don't know the page rate, but th- that would probably be like a cover penciling. Yeah. Cause it, even inking like interior pages was probably like more like 75 bucks to hundred and 150, depending on who you were, but. Uh,
2: yeah. So in, in 90, uh in 99, I knew a guy who was penciling at dark horse and he was saying like, Oh, the marble starting rate is like a hundred bucks per pencil for pencils. And it hasn't really changed in a long yeah. time. So part of part of the, like, like you're spending so much money and like from nowadays, like, oh my gosh, Chuck, you're not spending a lot of money. You know, Zach has already made for what was the time good money for these covers. Yeah. And he's making maybe half of it back for just like clearing it out of his, his home where these stacks of pages and covers are just taking up space. Um, that,
1: that's correct. I mean, they honestly looked at it as, you know, they go to a convention, it was kind of drinking money, right? If they could sell any artwork at the show... They were actually doing sketches at the time. And at that point, you know, when I met Hama, he wasn't charging for sketches, but Zek would regularly charge and maybe $25 to do like a, a, you know, a figure sketch, maybe it was 50 or 40. So, you know, to commission an artist, even to do a sketch at that point in time was almost as much as buying a published cover. But a lot of people liked this idea that you could ask the artist to draw whatever they, you know, whatever you wanted. And so people were paying, you know, willing to pay almost as much as what they could pay for a cover because of that privilege. And I always looked at it as, you know, frankly, what made an impact to me was the published book itself. So I'd rather have the example of the published book. And so going back to our very first sort of discussion here, you know, I've always sort of opted for the published stuff because when I read it, it makes an impact on me, where it's always nice to share that experience with an artist, but uh, again, I've had the privilege of, of, sort of hanging out with these guys a lot. So I, I don't feel like that's the only connection I have to these artists where many people walk away, never see the person again, and that's all they have to remember their experience of of meeting that artist.
0: And and I guess the 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 aspect of that, you know, parity of payment of a commission versus buying a cover as well is that um particularly back back then where the original art didn't seem, you know, wasn't really particularly valued very very much. It's like I'm going to have to if I'm doing a you know commission, it's taking me time. That's my time. You know, I want to be reimbursed for that for that time. Whereas the original art, particularly you know, panel you know, panel pages of an of a of a book, for example, rather than something a bit flashier, it's it's just a byproduct of the production process of of creating a comic. It doesn't actually really have any value in itself. You know, so so you know. If that's everywhere, you know, everyone in the market is behaving with that mentality that it's, you know, it's almost throwaway doesn't have a value, then, you know, you, c- you can kind of um, un- understand things where the, the things where it, the, the it was back then.
2: The one observation I want to make about the cover to 47 is that this is how you draw machine guns firing with that shape, <laughs> with that yellow, with that red.
1: Well, Zech became the gun guy, so to speak. I mean, I think he he always took pride in the fact that he actually researched the guns. He had you know magazines at the time because he couldn't go on the internet and, and find all this stuff, but he would have just gun magazines lying all over the place and you know became the guy that could draw machinery, whether it's this or the Punisher or you know anything anybody holding a gun. I think he ultimately did like Merck and stuff, but it was because he his ability to draw people firing guns and or the guns themselves so well that uh he got he got those jobs i mean the okay. gi joe 43 cover tim you got to admit that that machine gun blast pretty fantastic with, the, with death <laughs> holding that
2: <laughs> yes pretty yes it
1: fantastic. is <laughs> <laughs> yes, it
0: okay is. next up we have all got right trimpy again special missions number one page 19
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, let's start with the artwork on this. And then there's a, there is a backstory to this, but I mean, here's an example where Trimpy was drawing special missions. And I think compared to, you know, what we showed earlier with his initial designs for what was going on with G.I. Joe, a very different style a a very much more detailed style, not as heavy black. I mean, there is some black and white to it, but it's not as blocky as it was. Um, And I think, you know, as a, as a kid, I would say this was a little off putting to me. In that it didn't match to the style I was used to seeing in the comics those days. And I guess it had evolved even from the early Trimpy days to, you know, at that point, uh, was it Ron Wagner that was drawing, I guess, around that same time? You know, he was the regular artist. Um, But, you know, it had gone through this whole progression of all the artists we just talked through. And ultimately, you can see that Trimpy uh, adapted his style. And I think that's the thing that also people don't realize about Herb is that he was somebody that could adapt his style over time. Towards the end of his career, he was drawing like Rob Liefeld because that was the new Marvel style. That was what was popular at Marvel. And as much as that wasn't his natural style, he adapted to that. So given that, that Special Missions, I think, was intended to be a more real-world book, you can see that he's using a more real-world style to drawing the characters here, um, that is, you know, not a little different to that, and and I, I didn't like it at first, and it's it's kind of like you know Steve Ditko's art on Doctor Strange or other things, you, you, but you do learn to appreciate it over time, and you know, I guess I'll pause and see Tim Tim and Mark you know reaction from you on, on special missions.
0: Yeah uh, so so it the special missions was previewed in issue 50 so i think issue 1 came out shortly after that so it would have been rod uh, rod wiggum who um who would have been penciling the main main book at that stage as as the contemporary for it and yeah issue number 1 of special missions i experienced as the reprint in action force which is how i experienced a lot of uh, a lot of my first encounters with the the larry hammer gi joe work um and yeah i was really yeah quite taken with it, it was um I, I don't know if i can put my finger finger on it exactly but but yeah i was i it yeah it definitely left a big impression on me particularly that uh that first issue yeah it, it yeah i really i really did enjoy it and definitely did make a big impression on me at, at the time when i first encountered it
2: my first issue of Special Missions was the final issue, which I bought, oh. n- which I bought new at a bookstore right before a road trip. Um, and uh, Special Missions is my desert island comic. If I could only bring one <laughs> run with me, I would actually not bring Marvel GI Joe one through one fifty five. I'd bring Special Missions. Um, it, it's satisfying in a different way because. Uh, as much as I love the ongoing sort of soap opera of G.I. Joe, you don't have to worry about it in special missions. And as much as I love Cobra, uh, uh, having the Joes contend with other bad guys is a real treat. Um, and I'm a big fan of the 22 page self-contained story. Um, Chuck, you make a point here about Trimpy taking on influences and, you know, his work on fantastic for unlimited at the end of his Sort of regular comics drawing. He came back for a couple like special projects. He drew, you know, some pages for Hulk and for Savage Dragon, but his the end of his sort of regular career, career at Marvel looked really different. I am seeing a little bit. Is this Breckoff? Is this Colonel Breckoff on the final panel? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a tiny bit of Michael Golden in there. Hmm, I am and, too, yeah. And I and I think what happened after Yearbook Two was published is that any uh, anytime the October guard showed up, uh, Larry Hama or the editor on Joe would make sure that whoever was drawing the characters had some reference from your book too, because that was sort of now definitive. Uh, but there's, there's a little bit of cartooning and that big chin and mm-hmm. there's a little bit more sort of rounded um, in the cheeks than, than um, I would expect from Trimpy. Uh, what strikes me about this page, and this is what I love about G.I. Joe Special Missions and also G.I. Joe and also, you know, 80s Marvel Comics, is that, um, Mark, if you go back to the full uh, image, if you could, um, there is so much writing going on, right? There's a lot of dialogue, um, but it's not not onerous and it's not ponderous. It's not a slog to get through, right? Like there is a famous X-Men writer who like wrote a lot of dialogue and- um,
1: John Byrne. <laughs>
2: uh, and I, and, um, and I, those are great stories. I love the plots. The scripts are a little bit much for me. And uh, I, I've never felt that way reading a GI Joe story and special missions because the first page were often thrown right into the middle of it. And because Hama often has to sort of inform the reader who's probably a 10 year old kid, in the 1980s of what's going on, right? It's like, okay, there's a hijacking situation and this is how this, uh, like, <laughs> this like old airplane works. And there's also like a satellite or a submarine or some like terrorists, but it's not Cobra. Um, and so you get in sort of the exposition and I don't mean like a mission brief at the beginning and one or two issues I think did that. But I look at this page and I see, and I mean this as a compliment, I see old school comics where there are one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six panels. Although the configuration, it sort of works like seven panels. Um, and um, there is no like big glamour shot of anything, right? Like as a page, if you were looking on on a on eBay or comic art fans or an auction site, and if you saw this page, you'd buy this because you have to own something GI Joe or Special Missions or a Trippy. But you wouldn't buy this page because it's like the most exciting submarine or the most exciting vehicle that Trimpy drew. Like this is what it is it's page uh 2019. Okay. Uh it's so this is right, thank you on the bottom. So uh this is like mm-hmm. doing the work of telling the story. You know, this is not that Vosberg splash page with Venom, Snake Eyes, and Quinn, which kind of acts as a second cover. And um even like a G.I. Joe story now compared to 1986, 1987, when this was published, uh, a G.I. Joe story now, even with the same writer, um, you're probably not going to have one, two, three, four, five, six panels. Uh, although sometimes you do, but sort of less often than I think you would have then. And, you know, my dollar is valuable. So give me a lot happening on every page. And as exciting as it is to turn the page and there's some like, Amazing two-page splash of like Spider-Man swinging through the city, or you know whatever it is. Um, uh, I'm much more interested in all of the things that happen here, right? It's like that's a cobra, uh, that's a cobra sub uh, surfacing off our starboard bow. Like, yes, tell me more.
0: <laughs> so, Chuck, yeah, I, um, I think I, 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 you've. Oh, sorry. I was going to say you think you've got quite a few um, trimpy pages. So, so in terms of when you were making your selection for. Today, what what was it about this particular
1: page that yeah, pulled out? Yeah, you, I you haven't for gotten a story behind the story on this one, but yeah, there is a story behind that story. So uh, you know, obviously, I had uh, when G.I.J. Special Missions One came out, Mike Zach uh, had had told me about drawing the cover, and he was like, "Yeah, I got some guys kind coming down off, uh, off the ship. It's it's kind of cool." And I was like, "Okay." Uh, so do you want to buy it? And I'm like, "Sure, I'll buy it." And I was like, "You know, I had I bought it sight unseen, so I you know had the cover, um, and then you know, as I got to meet Herb." Um, you know, I'd asked him what he had kept, and you know, he had not kept any of the original GI Joe uh, run that he had done for a Real American Hero. Uh, that was all sold. He, frankly, after he got all the art back from Marvel, he sold that to a comic book dealer, um, you know, for like a dollar a page, and they just got everything of his, including his GI Joe, all his Hulk, everything. And so, but he had kept the special mission stuff because, frankly, he liked it so much. And I think, you know, Tim, if if that's your Desert Island. If you go back and look at that run, almost every splash page or uh, everything that you sort of see there, there is a plane. Herb loved to draw. That aviation was his love. Like if he could go out and fly a plane, that was his dream. And I think it was issue 14 where it's like he draws. I think he's even in the story himself of special missions. It's just about, you know, biplanes and all that kind of stuff. That is his passion. And I I, I believe there must have been a conversation was like, Look, if I'm going to come back and draw a GI Joe, I'm going to draw what I want, and I want to draw a plane in every single story. And so, when you look at every <laughs> single special mission story, you will probably find a plane almost in every single one of those, because that's what Herb loved to draw. But he had special love for those special mission stories, and so he was like, "I did keep it, you know. I wanted, I wanted to keep those because honestly, the fans don't appreciate my special missions artwork as much as they don't value it as much as they do those early issues." And so, at the time. And this, when I started talking to him, it was maybe 10 years ago at this point. You know, I think he was saying, it's like, I want $175 a page for my artwork, but people are only willing to pay me like $100 a page or something like that. And it's just not worth it for me to sell it. I'd rather just keep it. So hmm. he had kept the special mission stories to himself for many, many years. But the, what happened was, I think it was because somebody in his family had, it, was, it goes back to Howie Welsh, Howie had wanted a page from G.I. Joe Special Missions 1. So they pulled a page out of Special Missions 1, which was this page, and had sold it to, to uh, Howie at a convention many years ago. And when Herb found out about that, he was furious because he <laughs> was like, I wanted to keep like That book needed to stay intact. It was like it was his pride and joy. He's like, I can't believe that there's a page missing out of this complete book. And it was sold. And he was he was furious. It was always the one thing that he sort of regretted. Uh, and so then, you know, years later after Herb had passed, um, again, I was in contact with the family, but, uh, one of the family members had the rest of the pages from GI Joe special missions, number one. And I, they actually put it on eBay is how I found out that they were selling it. So I actually contacted them through eBay and said, Hey, can I just buy the, the complete book? And I think they had listed it at you know a high enough price that nobody had put a bid on it yet. And so I think they just sold it to me directly. But I was able to get all of all the pages except for the one page that Howie had. So um, you know, I knew Howie had this page and you know, afterwards was working with Howie to, um, you know, to work out a trade so that I could reunite the book because this is after Herb had passed. And I was like, honestly, Howie knew as well that that was always Herb's one regret that this page had gotten sold. And uh, so we were working on a deal. And then, you know, frankly, everything went dark for a while and I wasn't sure what had happened, and um, Howie, uh, for those that know, he passed away. He was in a, an unfortunate accident, and so in the middle of this deal, I didn't know that he had passed away, and so that's why I was not hearing back from Howie as to how he could complete the deal so I could get this page. Um, all the pages ended up that, and Howie's collected, ended up in another collector's uh, collection, and I got a hold of that collector and explained the situation to him and, and said, look, I'd still like to reunite this page back with the story, and so he and I were able to work out a trade deal so that uh, that he got some things from me, uh, and I was able to get this page. So you know, I felt years later that you know, sort of justice was served. You know, hopefully, Herb up there is you know happy that the pages all got reunited together as a complete book, so that it, you know, hopefully it won't get split up again. You know, even when I pass away, uh, and it, you know, for future generations will get to get to enjoy this book wherever it may go.
2: There was a time when uh, Trimpy and his dealer were selling special missions pages. It was like a couple of week on eBay for months. Uh, and I, I got two of them and they weren't favorites. They just, they looked great. And I, I hadn't anything from special missions. Uh, and it is, it is a great regret of mine that when IDW reprinted special missions in those four paperbacks, uh, they did so seemingly by scanning the printed comics, stripping mm. the color, and then recoloring them. And the reproduction looks bad. Whereas uh, around that time, Trimpy was selling his art. And you could, it's not that, you know, you ask him to scan them or ask his agent to scan them or put out an APB amongst the collectors. It's like, can anyone contribute scans of pages? Um And uh, I have a I have a hard time looking at those four special missions uh, reprints from IDW as much as I love what IDW has done with and for uh, G.I. Joe. So seeing an original always makes me happy because this is what it's supposed to look like. And that's, you know, someday maybe they'll do a new edition of those books and, you know, contact the fans who have pages and ask for scans. Yeah, when I, met... I hope so. I've
1: I've offered mine up to them. So if they need they need to do a special missions book, there's there's enough to to do a complete artist edition, but I think fans out there need to demand it. So <laughs> go to IDW and demand YoJo. Go go demand a a special GI Joe IDW artist edition.
0: When when I met Herb in 2013 in London, um uh, I asked him about what he had left and I think it was literally maybe one or two pages of special missions, uh, that he had, uh, left at, at that point, or at least, uh, with him, I, I may, I might be conflating things. Maybe, maybe he had more, but back, back home in the States. Uh, and yeah, I think he just had with him one page from special missions four, which didn't feature any GI Joes or, um, Cobras on the page yeah. itself. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't pick it up. I probably should have, but, um,
1: uh, yeah, four kind of, was not, for whatever reason, four wasn't complete. I think he may not have done the inking on four or something along those lines. Because the, the ones that typically got sold to him were the ones that he didn't do the inking on. So he didn't have complete books. I think the complete books, Herb had tried to keep, you know, at least the early ones, um, he had tried to keep to himself because he had done, similar to Osberg. He, he really appreciated the fact that he could do his own pencil and the inking on those books. Um, and, uh, and Mark, it may be, you know, I, frankly, when I had, um, I had an event at my house, uh, in Maryland in 2010 and Tim, sorry that I didn't invite you. <laughs> um, but Herb, uh, you know, what I, I usually had comic art get togethers. And so I'd invite all the comic art collectors in the local area up and I'd try to get an artist to show up and Herb lived up in New York at the time. Uh, but since he was, you know, frankly, a good friend, he, um, he drove all the way down from New York with, with Patricia, his wife. And uh, they ended up doing a, another local show that weekend as well. But he just came down to sort of hang out, talk to everybody. Um, but, you know, I had asked him if that was the first time I was like, could I, could I buy one of your special missions books? And um, he sold me all of issue two, which, you know, the story to issue two, I, you know, again, also own the Zek cover to that, which is sitting right back there. But, um, you know, the two was always you know, similar to one. One was my favorite, but he he wasn't willing to sell the one at that point. And Maybe it was because it was, you know, was not complete. Um, but it was all, or I think maybe he'd already given it to one of his kids. Um, but it, it, the two reminded me of the original issue two in some ways. The storyline was was very similar. There was sort of this the sense that the villain got you know sort of the retribution that they deserved at the very end, and sort of that same sort of feeling. So that's why I always was drawn to special missions too similar to you know the the real american hero number two as well but yeah i think after that i had bought most of the complete books that he stole because i i appreciated him and i was i was willing to pay his price i think around uh what he was asking for them at the time so i'm glad that you know that i could get them before you know frankly they didn't get a lot on ebay i think people didn't you know because they were flooded to the market they were going for maybe fifty dollars a page or something like that so they're very affordable to the people that bought them but uh you know, felt like it also, um, you know, maybe they were worth a little bit more. And I think they are, especially now today. So I think Joe fans probably appreciate them more than they did back then.
2: I often have to remind myself that special missions was initially bi monthly. It was published Mm -hmm. every other month. And it wasn't until around 15, 18 that it went monthly. And, uh, you know, like I was, I was reading comics. I got into comics, right. As it was ending. So I I sort of had no say in it as a fan writing a letter or giving them my dollar, but sort of retroactively, I, I was wonder, um, Oh, if only it had been monthly the whole time. And then by the time it ended the month that it did, there would have been 12 or 15 more issues I could have, you know, like, Oh, special missions would have ended at like, uh, 39 or 42 uh and you know who would have done another fill-in if trippy had you know done a couple issues by himself and then uh missed one because there were a couple fill-ins along the way there were yeah. uh but alas you know what what would the andy kubert cover for uh you know the final issues have looked like if not a bunch of vehicles uh alas that that does not that does not exist i can't rewrite time okay um
0: so the next one is, uh, funnily enough, it's something that we have uh, t- talked about relatively recently. Me and Tim, because we do <laughs> a uh, sh- a Devil's Due podcast discussion show, where we uh, we've gone back and and started reading the issues and discussing them, starting with issue one, and, and now we're up to uh, issue five. There's um, no twenty-five, sorry. Um, And, yeah, this was something that we looked at and discussed and the process around it and the way it looked and uh, what what uh, it might might have been. So uh, with that preamble, vague preamble uh, done, (laughs) I'll move on to what it actually. Oh, no, no, no. I've gone. uh, I'm introducing (laughs) the wrong the wrong thing. Can can I
1: skip ahead? I I, I I I like you built up to it. So when we do get to it. We can stick with this, this. Oh, there we go.
0: There we go. This is the thing that I was actually talking about. Um, I, was, I was getting too far ahead of myself, um, this this one, David Michael Beck back cover to GI Joe Eight from uh, Devils Due. Um, so there's yeah there's yeah, a story so, behind
1: it. Yeah, I mean the story story behind this. I, you know when Devils Due launched the, the 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 quote unquote new GI Joe series in the early two thousands, you know that that had been the first time, frankly, as an art collector, that I had sort of taken more interest in even looking at what new art was coming out. And uh, you know David Michael Beck's versions that he was doing on those back covers were just were just some classic portraits. Uh, That Snake Eyes and the Storm Shadow that he did, the Cobra Commander that he did on issue four, all blew me away. You know, um, there's some uh, you know those are ones there. There's ones I like better than others, but those those particular ones were pretty awesome and then i guess uh, you know the sort of my final you know great favorite was this cover to of the baroness or the back cover excuse me to issue 8 so when i um i met dave so I, you know it was interesting on the G, even on the devil's due artwork when that was going up for sale the first time i remember it for sale from these early issues i think issues 1 and 2 and and 3 i was at a um con down in florida i think it was uh i don't know not florida supercon but whatever the big con down in florida was back in the early 2000s and they had put some pages of the interior art by uh, was it steve kerth i think it was it was doing this stuff then? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that those were up for sale in a, in a charity auction so the first i guess devil's Due art i got was was that but you know, frankly, after owning those for a little while, I, it wasn't as exciting to me as maybe the original GI Joe art. But then these David Michael Beck's were. So I ran into Beck at a convention, in, I believe in Philadelphia, and uh, he—I don't believe he was. I asked him about whether he was willing to sell these final paintings, and at the time, he was not. Um, he was very much like holding on to them for for dear life. <laughs> um, because of, I mean, frankly, he puts a lot of work into it. I think, you know, David's work is, it was, it was bought by other sort of, I would say well-known collectors, but you know, was in some things. So I think he was probably hesitant to get to let the final paintings go, but what he did have, and we'll show in just a second was he had the preliminary rejected version of this cover for sale. And I, you know, when I saw that, I was just like, this was one of my favorite covers, even seeing the the rejected version of this, I was blown away by that. And so immediately bought that. When I got to the final cover, um, I think after buying the rejected cover, I, you know, I I stayed in touch with him. And I think a year or two later, he did uh, agree to sell me the final, final version of this cover as well. And then, you know, Frank, it's just beautiful. It's, it's on uh, illustration board, uh, just amazing, just painted piece. You know, he has a, he has sort of a an interesting sort of like crosshatch style where he does a lot of the work. On, he does the underwork um, as if it was like pencil and ink, and then he will sort of layer on the painting on top of it, uh, which gives a very sort of stylistic, uh, you know a, a different style to it than you would see on a traditional sort of painted cover. You know, what we saw with Michael Golden or you know a Joe Jusco, as you were saying, I think his style is very much different, but the the lighting, the highlights, and the you know, and her hair, the the fact that it's just glowing, the glistening on the gun, and, and even the the symmetry of the of the steps in this one just contribute. Just and the belt buckle. I mean, it, 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 not to not to mention her her uh, her uh, her shape, but I think the as we will see in just a second with the the uh, preliminary version of it, it actually the the shape of it I thought was actually a little bit better in the original version of it. This was the slightly edited version of it that was a little bit more. Um, stayed if you want to look at it as far as her pose, but um, just you know all the elements on this just just a, a fantastic you know painting to me and was you know sort of my once and done. Although I did have other David Michael Becks over the years, this is the one that I've, I've decided to keep over all the years.
0: And what what I, I mean looking at looking at this is really blown up with, with all of the detail. One of the things that I'm noticing is that he's painted every single brick <laughs> individually on that building in the, in the background. Uh, which I think is just an indicator of the amount of time that he is must have spent on on producing this, and some of the fine detail in the in like the the hairline of um the baroness as as well that yeah just isn't isn't picked up in re- reproduction those that that kind of fine detail have you got this one in front of you some somewhere um like, I do not i, I think it's
1: up? actually upstairs unfortunately um I apologize, guys, but uh, what sort
0: of scale, What scale? Sort of scale would this one be? Is this it's, this? Uh, it's a little larger.
1: Uh, it's a little larger than normal sized art. Um, it's it's you know I, don't know I can't give you that, it, but it's it's bigger than normal art. It's on illustration board, so it's very hard because mm-hmm. you would paint this mm-hmm. on that, and you got to make sure that the uh, the paint doesn't curl the the paper. Yeah, totally um, right. So yeah. both both this and the one that the the pencils that we'll show in just a bit were also both done on an illustration board, sort of to their their full amount, and. Even the detail of the fact that, like you know, it goes all the way to the edge. I guess he probably taped off the edges to make sure that it didn't bleed. But it's just clean and crisp. I mean, it yeah. shows how neat. As an artist, he's very neat and tidy. Which um, you know, sometimes you'll see stuff on the sides, like you know, ink blotches and all that, just show that they were in a rush to do this. Uh, but David, you know, took his time to to paint to to paint these things here. So. But great, you know, great artist. I, 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 my big regret, I guess, is the the Cobra Commander painting. He was holding onto that mm. for many years, and then put it up for sale. And I wish I had, I wish I had bought that. And frankly, even the Storm Shadow and the uh, and the Snake Eyes, I wish I had bought those as well. So, uh, I've tried to contact the owner of the, or I've, I've been in contact with the owner of the Snake Eyes for many years, and and he's <laughs> decided he wants to keep it. Just as much as I love this painting, he loves that painting, and they're all. You know that that era of sort of rebooting GI Joe and some of the stuff that they did with these, especially these back covers, just amazing. I think he's a, very much an underappreciated artist. I mean, his the value of his art has not really gone up significantly because I think really only the Joe collectors have gotten to see and appreciate a lot of this. I think he does a lot of other varied projects that don't get him as much notoriety, um, but you know Beck was you know one of the greater Joe artists in my opinion. Um, Especially when you think about the fact that this was a relatively dead property, you know, in the early two thousands, they really had to sort of bring it back from out of the dead, and they they relaunched it in such a great way. Shall we?
0: should we have a look at the pencils? The what? Yes. So been? we can
1: see what Hasbro did not like about the original drawing. There we go. So pretty much the same composition, except as you notice, the hips are. In a very different position than they were I on the lie. final drawing of this, and from from my understanding, and, and you know, I guess first even before we even get into that, I think just to appreciate this is this is how Beck would start. Whoop, am I still mm-hmm. there, Mark? Yeah. Can you hear? Yeah. Or, Tim, can you hear us? I can. Yes. Hear, I can hear you. Okay, uh, we're. I think our screens are dead, but uh, I'll, I'll talk over it. Okay, we're back. Um, okay. The. I mean, this is this is the under. I guess the first layer of what Beck would do relative to his painting. So he would always start. Sure. With a very detailed pencil drawing of these, and then, like I said, as he would work up from that and build up the 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 painting from this stage of things. But my understanding is this was uh, was uh, given to Hasbro for approval. They felt like the sway of her hips was too um, sexually, I guess, too much of a sexual innuendo that they had back straighten out the hips in the uh, in the final version of that. Um, but I think it, you know, you know, the, the, the cover that would have been and I know, I think actually somebody for a commission actually commissioned Beck to finalize and do a version of this painting, a smaller version of this painting, um, you know, sort of in its form. And it looks great. I mean, I, I actually like the original better in some ways, but also understand Hasbro's, especially given that they were relaunching the brand and the fact that they were still trying to keep it toy centric, that it might be a little too much for, for Hasbro, especially in those early days. And yeah, and like hearing some of the things that
0: Josh Blaylock has sort of described about those early days at Devil's Due, that that the contacts at Hasbro didn't always necessarily understand the brand or, or the, the the characters that that well, and and are still in that mentality of this is a you know a kid's toy rather than rather than a nostalgic book for the adults that well the young adults who had grown up reading. Uh, GI Joe in the 80s and, and 90s um, and, and so I think yeah, we're pushing back on some of the more mature elements that, that he wanted to have in the in the book at that time.
2: yeah it's It's interesting that um, the, the baroness is a sexy character, and I'm all for um, women in comics being posed in a more neutral way or the way that a man might be posed uh, and you know you see a lot of poses and covers and in cover in, co- in interiors where uh an artist draws a female character um in a way that they would never draw a male character and sometimes it's overt and sometimes it's funny but um the baroness has always been a sexy character and you can you can absolutely draw the baroness in a not Sort of at all sexy pose, but she she arrives fully formed with a little bit of baggage, and that she is a sexy character, and I can imagine that uh, you know Cobra Commander sitting in a throne, Storm Shadow holding a sword um, is just not going to come under that kind of uh, scrutiny. Uh, I mean, this is definitely a pose, like a man is not going to, like there would never be a Destro drawing where he's taking this pose, right? Like no artist would draw that. And if they did, readers would not like it and they may know why they don't like it or they may not may not know why, why they don't like it. So I, I appreciate sort of Hasbro's pushback here. I agree with both of you that the original is a, is a more interesting drawing. Um, uh, it's really wonderful to make the comparison and previously Mark had on another episode pulled up that uh, that commission, right? Yeah, the um,
0: painted the painted version of this one. yeah,
2: yeah. Um, uh, but but um, uh, Chuck Mark and I and our other other, other our, excuse me, and our other co-host have talked a little bit about uh, the sort of phenomenon of the like the sexy scarlet cover or the sexy Baroness cover, which shows up in the last ten years sometimes for um, variants.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, especially like Mike Mayhew's version of, of uh, you know, this nowadays would be par for the course for any of those covers. And it's interesting to put this in in, in reference of the early 2000s that this was not acceptable, you know, that this, this was going too far. Well, in today's world, you could do a cover like this all day long, if you really wanted to, because not only... Uh, You know, I think it's because the competition is doing it too. You know, you see this on Marvel, you see this on everything else. I think it's a little bit within context of what what are other folks doing to sort of push the boundaries on their IP. And would they do this with the Black Widow? Yeah, the answer is probably yes in today's world or, you know, they've done it with, um, you know, a a number of other female characters. But I think in the early 2000s, Lady Death and maybe some of those others, but you weren't seeing it on the mainstream characters per se. And I think you also have to remember that Beck was also drawing for play. They, he was drawing like Lady Death and other things at that time. So for him, it was probably okay to, you know, you know, it was just the translation of other things that he had done for other publishers. And, you know, it shows a little bit of the fact that when you have to go through the approval process, you know, you, you might lose some of that creativity that you would want or you expect out of an independent publisher.
2: Do you want to go back to the
0: yeah? Uh, let the me slide. S- we skipped. I got a little bit overexcited. And I skipped <laughs> a slide. So so let's uh, let's skip. Back you really like that.
1: that image, didn't you? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah. So this the story behind this one. So a little later, and you know, I think we were talking about Trimpy before, and you know, this sort of talking about my relationship with Herb is after Herb passed away. Um, Patricia, his wife, moved out here to California, nearby to me. And I, I guess I had the pleasure, but also the sadness of helping her to sell the remaining art that was in um, Herb's collection as well as some of his comics. Um, and so we, you know, there was a number of pieces that we ended up selling, you know, publicly to a lot of folks. And I'm glad that they ended up with, you know, collectors that really enjoy them. Um, you know, frankly, there wasn't a lot that I ended up wanting to keep for myself, but this was, you know, I'd always wanted this particular cover from Herb. And I think while he was alive, I had asked him about it and I don't even know if he just didn't get around to pulling it out for me or didn't know he had it or or what it was. But um, this was one that I was quite surprised to find in his collection of artwork uh, when he had passed away. So I, I asked Patricia if I could purchase this one and, and was lucky enough to, to be able to. Um, but a couple of interesting things. And here again, you see the sketch cover that was published by Hama, who did the layouts for this. And again, a very True to, you know, it looks like a Herb, Herb Trimpy drawing that we would expect, but it is obviously based off of a, a Hama sketch there that that was submitted and given to Herb to essentially, you know, work from. So, you know, great to continue, you know, however many years later you see that the formula of how Hama was sort of translating the covers was still coming to fruition here, even in, in the, the rebooted IDW, you know, issue 169 versus issue 10. Um, but what was more interesting to me um, about this was was also something else that I had found in um, her. I guess it, it, I guess it was sort of something I noticed at when I saw the cover. Is if you can zoom in on this, is that it's signed Beto at the very bottom on on the uh, the the well, bu- down, uh, like the pouch.
0: Down here. Oh, here,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it's signed Beto. And so what, uh, you know, I was wondering, I was like, what, what is that? Um, because yeah. I, did, I believe it's Gilbert Hernandez of uh, Love and Rockets. That was the name that he had used as an artist was Beto. And so m- my original thought was, did Herb actually ink this? Or did he have it inked by one of the Hernandez, you know, was somebody, you know, the Hernandez brothers. And I asked Patricia, um, because the other thing that I found was this. Here's a copy of G.I. Joe number one signed Beto. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would okay, even if one of the Hernandezes had worked as an inker, why would he sign a copy of G.I. Joe number one? That makes no sense to me. <laughs> but this was in Herb's personal collection of comics when he died. And so I, I guess I'll I'll turn it to you guys. Do you know the story behind this?
0: No. I do not know.
1: It's it's it, it was an odd story. So Patricia told me that they were on a vacation, I believe in you know South. I can't remember if it was in Latin America or if it was in Mexico. I apologize for not knowing the details. And this is sort of a little bit of a telephone game. But I believe he was talking to, you know, one of the. They were on vacation at like maybe a resort, and they were talking to one of the waitresses there. And at the time, they you know I think her was joking around, and I think they wanted to come up with a. Uh, you know, a name that was appropriate for him in the country. And they're like, oh, you look like a Beto. And so from then on, he had adopted this name Beto as his name. And funny part is he started using it as his professional name without maybe people even realizing that. <laughs> and the fact that he had signed a copy of G.I. Joe 1 with the name Beto at some very specific point in his career, I'd never seen any of these other ones. This may be the only Signed GI Joe that is signed Beto. I maybe it was a fan that was like, you know Gave it to him and was like can you sign this and he signed it Beto and they're like, what is this? Is this <laughs> who's Beto and maybe they gave it to him because they're like I don't want a comic saying Beto." I don't know exactly how this got signed Beto But it, it had always been a mystery, but it was a name that that if you look at some of those other covers from that time period You'll notice they are all signed Beto and that was herbs mm-hmm. pen name that he had adopted for a very brief period sort of towards the late part of his career.
2: Huh? Uh, that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> um, and Mark, I apologize
1: to Patricia if I got part of that story wrong and, and or if I wasn't supposed to tell part of that story, but I so thought it was interesting for fans out there that that do notice that some of these things are signed beta.
2: Part of why this cover feels, um, unusual is that we've, we've never seen trippy, only once we've only seen Trippy draw snake eyes version two. All oh, right. Uh, oh, I should say three times. I believe, right? Uh, no, that's, that's version, uh, that version, that's version four. Version uh, 4 we've okay. seen, so, you know, Trippy draws, you know, in the first year of GI Joe and that's version one, of course, then he comes right. back, uh, uh, that issue, you just mentioned that he wrote Andrew that's snake eyes version four. Um, and, uh, and he drew uh, the pinup. He penciled the pinup in Order of Battle Two, the cover of Order of Battle Two, um, and he must have penciled Special Missions fourteen and fifteen, right?
1: And he must have done then the reprint edition, uh, the the trade paperback of of Order of Battle may have had him on that.
2: Uh, I don't but, remember.
1: But I used do to own mean, that, but. Do you
2: mean the new cover that's run? They around.
1: did a cover, a new cover, a wraparound cover for Order of Battle
2: uh if if you're thinking of roadblock kicking in the door that's ron wagner no
1: it's like a big one with like it's got like all the characters oh sorry sorry i'm I'm thinking
2: of special missions right you are the order of battle um so but in terms of our like collective fan memory of trimpy as this associated with gi joe artist um you know it's 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 it's, you know, it's Rod Wiggum and Ron Wagner who were drawing Snake Eyes version 2, and Snake Eyes version 2 is a lot of people's favorite. And so to get Trimpy later in his career when G.I. Joe has come back, uh, and it's it's just Snake Eyes, it's not Snake Eyes and a bunch of other guys, he's not half-blocked by a tree. Um, I remember when this first came out, sort of in the back, of it was this little tickle in the back of my mind, it's like, well, this is exciting and special but it's more than just, oh, a cool drawing of Snake Eyes version two. There's something else going on here. Oh, right, Trimpy's sort of never done this drawing, this kind of drawing. Um, And it also, um, it very subtly recalls Zek's cover to uh, 53. Yeah, the uh, the,
1: the, the 25th anniversary covers. Yes,
2: which is a a different angle and a different cropping. But again, in terms of like, you know, how many times has a Spider-Man cover just been like Spider-Man's head? Or his head and shoulders, uh, many many times. How many times has a, a GI Joe cover been that for Snake Eyes? Twice. Um.
0: And maybe that this one as well. Oh that,
2: yeah, yeah. Thank you. When they go when they go to San Diego Comic Con, they go to Comic Con International. Um.
0: There's there's something there's something uh, about this cover that you might not be aware of, Chuck. So I want I'll, I'll play something and I'll. I'll I wonder if it's a, it's a surprise to to you to see. So, for the Snake Eyes movie, they've made a number of promotional videos of uh, a f- spotlighting a particular character. Okay. And the 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 way that these videos typically run is it will open with a striking image of that character, a few other comic book images, and then into the into the movie. So I'll just play a little clip, um, which might be fun for you to to, to see.
1: was quite I had not quick. i had not seen so that i will i will play that right
0: very beginning bit again for you to, to, to see if you can. Yeah. Yeah. there you go so in it starts it's the very <laughs> beginning of that video starts in
1: with uh with i your, had not uh, seen that particular one cover um, image I, I do yeah it's it's making me more excited to see the movie but no glad that to uh, Glad to see that this cover lived on, because it was really, it was was it a variant cover? It wasn't even like, was it the main? I guess it was the main audio.
0: Cover. Can you guys hear your, each other? Oh. Thumbs uh, up if you can hear.
2: Uh, I can I hear both, I can both
1: of you. my side. I can hear. Can you not hear Let me? Let me just
0: click on this a second and see if that resolves it for me. Yeah. Can you Hello? hear me? Hello? Can I hear you? No. Hi, Mark. Um,
2: Hi, Mark. People at home can hear us.
0: You guys keep on going then. uh, 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 I'll see uh, if I can resolve.
1: Tim, can you hear me?
2: Uh, Yes. Uh, I'm going to put in the chat, uh, Mark, Mark, go to next slide. I'll Um, come to the next image, perhaps. There there we go. He's he's reading my mind. Um, There we go. All right. So I'll pretend to be Mark. Um, uh, Chuck, this is... uh, uh, page uh, photocopy of uh, pencils from a mike Zeck issue of the devil's do gi joe silent issue 21 ah, it's too irish um uh i i know you have you must have a big story about issue 21 uh drawn by mike Zeck, uh, penciled by mike Zeck. Uh, what can you tell us
1: yeah. So, you know, when Mike got the call from Devil's Due to do the covers, he he started with issue six. And and I wish I had bought that Cobra Commander cover um, that he first had. I think we put those all on eBay or right? I suggested Mike put those all on eBay. And I'd own some of those. But, um, you know, Mike got re- re- reintroduced to the G.I. Joe universe uh, as his final. And this was actually G.I. Joe 21. It's hard to believe however many. When was this? 2003, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, almost 20 years, 18 years at this point. That's really crazy to me. Um, but this was his last published you know, continuity book that he had drawn and still is to this day. He has not gone back to drawing anything. So this is sort of Mike Zach's leaving comics uh, issue. And for this, uh, they decided to bring Mike and John Beatty, who was the original anchor on a lot of those G.I. Joe covers together. And for this project, Beatty, and we'll, you know, we'll see some of the ink pages in a bit, but Beatty... You know, really took a, a a different style that he had been using lately, and that he wanted to go back to sort of the feathering and things that he had done in the 1980s to make this issue feel more like a classic G.I. Joe issue um, that they did. So, you know, Mike and John had started working on this. They had told me that they got to, you know, got the assignment of doing the um, the second or the second version of the silent or third version, if you want to look at it, of the silent issue uh, as an homage to the original G.I. Joe 21. And, uh, they were, you know, uh, similar to years past, I always sort of calling Mike up every week and, and sort of checking the progress of things and understanding what it was. And in one of those conversations, he was, he, he's, you know, he was like, Hey, you know, I've got all this artwork that I'm drawing for this. Do you want to buy it? And I was just like, you know, even before it was drawn and I was just like, you know, sounds good. You know, it's was like, I, I haven't seen it sight unseen. I'll, I'll buy it, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And so that was sort of week one of the project as I had agreed to buy it. And they were like, great, we know we're getting some extra money out of this. So we can put some extra effort (laughs) into this issue. So um, then by, you know, as they were getting into it, I think maybe week week two or I think it was maybe week three, because I think I waited a week. And then I was like, hey, Mike, you know, since I'm buying this issue, is there any way that you could sort of work me into the issue? I mean, you know, it would be nice to have something. And so you'll notice through the issues that there's an arcade that's featured on on there. And there's no words. I mean, this is the problem is they they actually have no actual word bubbles. So they can't say, hey, Chuck Costas, how are you doing? So they (laughs) subtly put it in there by calling the arcade Costas Corners Arcade. So if you look through the book, you'll see many references to Costas Corners Arcade, although the Costas Mm -hmm. part is is blocked out in this particular page. And then, um, you know, I called them up. Then I was like, okay, that's great. That's great. I'm glad you got that in. And then the following week, I was like, well, you know, it would be nice if maybe, you know, maybe I could be a character in the book as well. And they're like, yeah, I wish you would have told me that um, before we started <laughs> drawing the whole book, because we're on page 18 at this point. Uh, you know, it's pretty late in the book to try to get you into the book, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So here is the page that they were sort of stuck on um, when I made my request of, of making a cameo appearance in the book. And so if you zoom into that top panel, you'll see uh sort of in front of costas corners ca- ca- cafe you'll see a gentleman i believe in a, in a in a i think it was a captain america shirt that maybe that person's wearing or there's just a, a person behind billy there that's that's sort of rooting on oh, actually no, the captain america is off off to the left a little bit so you has got a, a gang of kids and so they decided that, that 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 was where they could sort of hide me i guess in the uh in the crowd so to speak so i guess we can move to the we move to the next page so this was the pencil version of it um the next page is the ink. So you'll notice that the character next to Billy got redone and they decided to put me in a Punisher T-shirt in there. Mm-hmm. But if, again, if you zoom in close, this was Mike and John's attempt to draw me um, freestyle, you know, uh, using reference, of course. But uh, this was all sort of their, their pen and ink. And, you know, I think Mike and John thought that that, that my hair was a little, I mean, I've, I've plumped out a little bit since then. I'll, I'll, I'll let the audience know that I've gotten a little rounder <laughs> since those early days in the picture that I gave them to reference. But um, I think they felt like, you know, maybe the hair was a little bit too scraggly or whatever else. So they, they decided that uh, they needed to use a little bit of Photoshop after the fact to make it look more like an actual likeness of me. And so if you move on to the next page. This is the, if you blow up, you'll see that they sort of tightened up really just sort of the, the likeness of me to make it look a little bit more realistic. And that's at least how I used to look maybe whenever, geez, almost 20 years ago when, we were, when they were drawing this thing. But the, uh, the, the subtle Punisher t-shirt, since I had bought a lot of Mike's Punisher artwork as well, which was oh, yeah. my, a nice touch that you know, borderlines on copyright infringement. But, uh, <laughs> you know, who, who was looking at it? Chuck, Marvel, I, I... Hopefully my friends at Marvel aren't watching right now.
2: Uh, I, I shared this anecdote with you when we were emailing a couple of years ago, but um, I, I read the first year of the Devil's Due series and then I, I dropped the book, but I came back for issue 21 because it was a big deal and I was very excited. And when I got to this page, I thought, huh, I don't know who that is, but that's someone.
1: <laughs> yes, that was that was me. Yeah, you could see the detail that I guess. But, you know, I hate to say it, when they colorized it, it you couldn't really detail all the detail that was in this. It's really only the black and white version of this that you can sort of see all the details in there. But yeah, that was that was my one cameo. I didn't stick around in the issue, but I can at least now say that I was an official. I don't call GI Joe character, but I was officially in an issue of GI Joe. I think I did the, not make it into the the latest Snake Eyes movie, as far as I know. But uh, I think
2: your I think your code name is Bystander.
1: Yes, <laughs> uh, bystander so, uh, Punisher t-shirt so
2: we'll wor- we'll work on a a, a, a toy package <laughs> profile image with a, an explosion behind it. It can be uh, you with uh, your Punisher shirt. Are you a blue jeans guy? Uh,
1: yeah so yeah, we'll, we'll do blue jeans so that's okay. Cool. what kind of shoes sneakers? Um, you know let's go with some you know some of those cobra shoes that came out a few years ago that would be sneakers, yeah. Always.
2: Uh, the, and then the uh, and then uh, <laughs> uh, a, a portfolio case under your arm or a, a novelty brush with ink on it.
1: Oh, uh, maybe a movie prop, I don't know, you know, something like oh, that. The, um Hasro
2: right. Hasro Hasro can save money by just reusing the Mars uh
1: briefcase there we go. That's from the
2: figures, right? And and in in the story, it's like, well, you're the collector and that's the prop. <laughs>
1: Uh, I am the collector. Yes. Well, yeah, I like to think of the backstory as you know I'm in front. I'm the arcade owner of Costas Corner's arcade, and I'm <laughs> stepping out to see what's going on. And I'm I'm really happy to see you know Snake Eyes kicking some butt there. So you know that's just it's a cameo from the Costas Corner's arcade.
2: I'm I'm shocked that uh, that Code Nave Bystander is so pleased that this small section of Los Angeles or San Francisco is getting torched.
1: <laughs> so I'm happy. I'm, I'm just no fr- I'm just happy to see my hero. You know, it's. <laughs> I'm I, just like, I, wow, Snake Eyes. He's in front of me. I can't believe this is happening. I'm just a small arcade owner that owns Costas Corner's. look at all this. Look, my my place is trashed. But hey, at least it was done by <laughs> Snake Eyes and, and the cast <laughs> casting crew that all came out to to be in my comic book today. So yeah. uh, he's a
0: punisher. Yeah. He's a punisher fan. He just wants and, to see yeah. the world Well,
1: the, the, everybody else got punished in this in this uh, in this <laughs> issue. So. But yeah, so that's the that's the history of my cameo appearance in GI Joe number twenty one, and and um, you
2: have you have all of the inked pages in your. I
1: do. I used to have all the prelim pages. I sold those off to another collector, um, but you know, kept all the pages. and And that actually brings me back to uh, you know, sort of the Ringling exhibit that we're going to be doing at the Ringling College of Art and Design, and it's going to start October eighteenth through the, the December tenth. Uh, we, we worked out with Hasbro that we'll have all those pages on display so that people can read the entire silent story front to back uh, on one wall over there, as well as every single G.I. Joe, Mike Zeck cover and major piece that I own. So if you right. want to take a trip down to Sarasota, Florida sometime this, this winter, it'd be a good place for Joe fans to go and, and check out that exhibit. Um, hopefully uh, it'll be a you know uh, something that people will remember. And it's fr- frankly the first time I've gotten to put that much geo art up. I, I don't have that much wall space, as you can see, in this little. Is there a place thoughts.
0: that people should be you know going typing into Google to find out the the details of this one, or is it, uh, is it a wait and see to get the the full scoop? Once they're... I think it's a
1: little bit of a, it's a little bit of an early scoop for you guys. Uh, I don't think it's been officially announced, even on their website, uh, that it's coming. But it is, from what I've been told, it's starting October eighteenth and going through December tenth. Um, and frankly, right as soon as I get done with this, I need to pull all the artwork off the walls and put it and get it ready for the, the art person to, to ship down to Florida, so they can start getting it ready for the exhibit later on this year. So, uh, but I, I had done a, an exhibit of Mike Zach's art, including some of the G.I.J. stuff, um, in uh, 2014 at the uh, Cartoon Art Museum that was at that point in downtown San Francisco. I
2: was just going to say, I was going to say, Chuck, <laughs> you you probably know Andrew Farrago. I do. Yes. So uh, my wife and I uh, she has family near San Francisco and we were in the city and we were uh, I think we were like looking up comic book stores and like places to get coffee and food. And um, she said, um, isn't that a comic museum here? And we found it on her phone and uh, we got there and um, the the like marquee or the, the sort of stencil in the window. It's like the art of Mike Zeck. And I was like, what? <laughs> Cause we hadn't planned the trip into the city with anything in particular, like, Oh, we'll see a friend of mine from college. And we'll go to a comic book store or two. And, um, <laughs> and we went inside and the, the date on the pamphlet or the placard, the show, you know, it'd run like three months and the show had ended the day before. Oh, and, and I have I have this um, uh this is uh this this comes after the sort of you know famous meme of like Darth Vader from the Star Wars prequel yelling no, but sort of in my mind I co- collectively I have that and I have I have Riker from that season one episode of Star Trek the Next Generation saying damn it damn it to hell, um, and I'm I'm just sort of ready to get down on my knees and say no, <laughs> and we sort of looked in and the person at the desk said. Uh, oh, the show's actually up for another two days because we're, <laughs> we're not taking it down immediately. And I turn to my wife and um, she's an illustrator and she appreciates comics. And she's like, yes, let's go in. Um, and uh, so there's all this Punisher stuff and like the Secret Wars 1 cover and some Craven's Last Hunt. And uh, there's like a big stencil on the wall, you know, as museums uh, do. And just a bunch of G.I. Joe work, the, was the yearbook three cover in that show? I think
1: I did lend the yearbook three cover to that exhibit. Yes.
2: And, um, the, um, uh, Mark, I seem to have some anxiety when it comes to feeling GI Joe when I'm in California, uh, because, um, I think we only had like, you know, 30 minutes because we had to like hop the train back to, uh, like family for dinner or, you know, it was four o'clock and the museum was closing at five. I think they were doing an art, um, Uh, art lessons for uh, younger people in sort of the room off the lobby. And um, I would have gladly just stayed there for two hours and just stared at each one and like talked about it to my wife like we're doing now and pulled out my sketchbook. And uh, so I I had enough time, but I was a little rushed. Uh, But I was so pleased that we, uh, had made it, and it was all serendipity because we hadn't looked into what do we do in the city? Is there some dream exhibit that <laughs> like shouldn't exist on paper? It's like Tim, what's your like, what's your fantasy art exhibit if you're going to stumble into a well, it's Mike Zek, all of his covers and pages from Marvel. Uh, so thank
1: you. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad. I'm glad it hit home. It was a great exhibit to put on. There's, if you go out on eBay, you can probably find a copy of the old book we made for that called Raw Fury. It has some some of the Joe stuff got snuck into there, um, but uh, yeah, for this one, this one, like I said, we're officially doing this alongside with with Hasbro's blessing, so we can put a whole bunch of Joe art up there, and uh, the people can appreciate that. But um, but yeah, I'll you know appreciate you guys taking the time to go through uh, at least samples of my collection. I think that, like I said, a larger part will be there, but. You know, you guys got me thinking as well with, you know, G.I. Joe hitting its 40th anniversary. I hadn't thought of it. You know, Andrew and I had always talked about doing a G.I. Joe exhibit when there was a major anniversary for G.I. Joe. And uh, I hadn't thought about, you know, there's there's much more than than I have than just my exec stuff in my collection. So maybe there's some stuff I can lend out to to make an even bigger exhibit somewhere else um, that will make Joe fans happy on a, on a very large anniversary. I think 40 years of the 1982 Joes is, is going to be a, is going to be. For for the franchise,
2: will you attend the opening of the exhibit? I will.
1: I will. Yes, we were. We will allegedly be there on October eighteenth. I'm still still seeing if Mike's going to be in the country, Zach. That is uh, to to also come down. But uh, if he is, likely he'll come visit as well.
2: Is there um, is there any talk of him giving uh, a lecture or? just sort of being there for more we, than just the opening sort of cocktail reception. Yeah.
1: I, I, you know, frankly, we haven't worked it out. I think we have to first figure out if Mike's going to be in, um, in the country. Cause he's planning on, he was planning on with before COVID going out of the country for a prolonged period of time and still hasn't been able to get out of the country. So I think it'll just depend on when the, the borders open up and when he's able to, to, to go on. He's now technically retired. So he's, he wants to enjoy his retirement a little bit. So if he's there, otherwise I may see if there's other, Either I'll probably give some kind of speech, or, or you know, we'll have some other folks that may have worked with him over the years there to to give something. But I'm uh, well, hoping Mike will be there, and, and uh, you know, we'll try. We're also trying to get some video out of him too to add to the exhibit to make it a little bit more virtual than that. Uh, the 2014 exhibit was. I think now there's there's things that we hopefully we can do a little bit more high tech than than what we had back in those days. So okay. anyway. But uh, it's been lovely r- going through the uh, the stacks of, of of artwork and I'm even learning new things about pieces that I own because I haven't frankly taken them out to appreciate them and I'm glad we got a chance to do that today guys so.
0: yeah no thank you for being so generous in terms of sharing both your collection but but also uh, your your time yeah it's been uh, it's been a delight looking at, you know at this art in some some detail um. And and yeah, it's all sort of, uh, very generous of you to to you know to, to share both your and your and your time. So um, my pleasure. Thank you. My yeah. pleasure.
2: Hopefully. For our for our viewers, it's not just the hours that Chuck's been live with us talking, it's also him calling and scanning and emailing and ag- agreeing uh, so, <laughs> uh, on, on behalf of Mark and I and also our many, many viewers. Uh, Chuck, this has been wonderful. Thank you for sharing your your enthusiasm is uh is clear and uh as fans i i think we're lucky i mean you're lucky that you bought some of the stuff when you did like how thought how forward thinking of you but as fans uh in a way we're lucky that a lot of the stuff is safe because you got it and you're you know it's it's on a wall it's in a portfolio and it didn't get lost or it didn't get sort of sold and um sort of disappear
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think if, you know, if there there are things I can contribute to, I know I help Marvel out all the time. And if there's things I can do with Hasbro, I'm more than happy to do that as well. And I, and hopefully I'll make some, renew my, some of my contacts over at Hasbro this year as I'm working with them down on the, on the Ringling exhibit to uh, see what we can do potentially next year. And, uh, and just like you guys, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that Snake Eyes movie in just a few short weeks. So I'm excited about that. So hopefully it'll, uh, yeah, you know, we'll all go back two or three times, but it'll be our, our reintroduction to the movie theaters, I think, uh, for for many of us.
0: OK, was there anything else you wanted to uh, to promote or plug while we've got you, Chuck, Before we wrap
1: up? Um, no, like I said, I think if for those that see the, the, you know, for those that are interested in Marvel art as well, like I said, I'm helping with the Marvel Universe of superheroes exhibit uh, mm-hmm. uh, that that's traveling. It's going from this right now it's in Chicago. It's going to be going, I think later in November out to Columbus, Ohio, for those that might be in the Midwest, uh, you know, come visit that, but it gives you some more insight into sort of original art like this, as well as uh, movie props, although Marvel oriented versus the GI Joe stuff. Um, what else we've got, uh, for those that are in Los Angeles that haven't been watching this, another thing that I, I sort of work on in my spare time is, uh, we started a convention that was, used to be the weekend before, uh, San Diego comic-con it's, it's under torpedo comics, torpedo con, as they call it. Um, that will be coming up, um, I think the 25th, I believe that weekend, three days. Uh, so helping John Delmayan and the torpedo guys with that, as far as uh, attracting folks for that, but that's got a great guest list, including Frank Miller, uh, Jim Lee, uh, Frank Cho, Bill Sienkiewicz—some you know, guys you may have heard of that will be showing up <laughs> on the show. So if you're in Los Angeles, you've been you've been looking for a comic show to go to, uh, please check that out. And, and Chuck, you have a you have a uh, comic art fans page. I do. Yeah, you can look under Charles Costas. That's my my alternate name, not guy in background. That's outside of Costas Corner's Arcade all the time. Bystander. Bystander, sorry, mm-hmm. I, I forget my name sometimes. I'm, I'm getting older. Um, sometimes I go by Beto. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I do have comic art fans. You're welcome to check that out. And and I do occasionally, you know, help artists out with uh, art sales of things. I think, you know, if you're a fan of Mike Vosberg, we talked about some of his. You can go to his website, um, which is uh, Vos Art, I believe, and V O Z. He goes by these days. He changed his name as well uh, from Voss V-O-S, V O S to V O Z. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think let's, what, what I, what I have always appreciated is, you know, frankly, the variety of different artists. We talked about many of them today. There are other ones that are in my collection, such as Jeff Fisherwood or John Byrne, or, you know, there, there's, there's other artists that, that, uh, you know, worked on these early Joes and, you know, even today's Joes, there's a whole host of different folks that have sort of carried on the tradition. And I think it's it live you know we, we owe it to them to, to sort of thank them for their their hard work on this of uh, you know sort of creating the universe that we love here and I you know hopefully my collection and my us talking about them today can help them live on in, in everybody's hearts and and I you know my my fondest uh, to the the trumpy family I think herb was a, was an amazing amazing artist amazing f- friend and, and an amazing person and that many people interacted with and uh, I know there's many other folks out there as well that I need to say thank you to and um uh, but you know larry as well and you know everybody's been great to me over the years as far as approaching them as a fan and getting to know them as an artist and i hope many of you out there you know don't you know don't be intimidated i think these all these creators are very you know when you talk to them whether it's ron rudat or or herb or don perlin or whoever it is i think they they appreciate that you appreciate their work so say thank you and uh, and keep them all in our hearts excellent
0: And Tim, if people want to find out more about you and what you do in your little world of GI Joe, uh, where would they go?
2: My website is a real American book.com.
0: Excellent. And if you want to find out more about Talking Joe and the show in general, there is a place to go where we've got the links to everything. That is talkingjoe.co.uk. Big thanks to all of our Patreon contributors as well. I'll give them a shout out. Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, Justin, thank you for keeping the lights on. Um, And uh, I think that is almost us done, but there is something that we say at the end. It is when all is said and done, you can catch us
2: down the road. Because you've... Been Because uh, we've been talking Joe. <laughs> like we haven't been doing this for months. You've been Chuck Custis.
0: Uh, and we're not out of your art because I think we barely scratched the, surf- the surface. But we are out of time. And currently, uh, we are all out of Joe's. Thanks to everyone. Thanks to Chuck. Thanks to uh, everyone sticking with us and uh, enjoying the show. Uh, Look forward to next time.